everybody, this is the Wild Ass Podcast, and I am your host, Wild Ass Craig. This is episode 29, and in this episode, I get to introduce all of you to Troy Porter. He's a guy many of you may not have heard of before, but has been behind the scenes in the motorcycle industry for many years. I was with a previous employer when I met Troy. Back then, he was my buyer at JNP Cycles. We've both moved on from those roles, but being in the motorcycle industry, we still saw each other throughout the years, often at rallies and events. In this episode, I hope to introduce all of you and help you get to know my friend, Troy Porter. Troy, welcome to the show. Well, Craig, thank you for uh, having me on today. I'm humbled to be a part of your podcast and uh, looking forward to it. Good, good. So I mentioned you've been in the industry for many years. We're going to talk about how you got into the industry, but you were the buyer of my product back for the company I worked for many years ago, right? I don't, I'm not misremembering that. No, that was probably halfway through my first stint at JMP Cycles yeah. uh, many, many years ago when we were uh, introduced and got met, uh, met through a couple of mutual friends. And Yeah, and then you ended up being my buyer and we just became friends and we've never lost touch, which is really cool. No, it's a, it's a small industry, you know, and, and all of us people that were, were in the the rally family or what, whatever you want to call it. You know, we see each other down the road here or over there. So we uh, never really get to because we're always hustling and always staying busy. <laughs> right. Never have the opportunity to lose touch. Speaking of busy schedules, I know we've, it, it's kind of been a process getting us together. And I know we're on a little bit of a short window this morning. So I really appreciate you taking the time out to sit with here and, and get this done. No problem. It, it's good to to uh, do something a little different from day to day. It breaks the monotony of the, the planning, the scheduling, and everything that I have to do. So it's a nice little break for today. Good. Especially on a Friday. Yeah, so the, everybody knows by now the show's recorded. We're both in a mad scramble getting ready to head off to Daytona, which officially, just so you know, you're my first tardy podcast of the year, but that's okay. We're going to get it done. That's all that matters. <laughs> that's all that matters. <laughs> Because what happens is these events are going to start whether we're there or not. So that's not really an option. No, there is no option. And we're, you know, we're past the, oh, the freak out planning stage now. And it's just, uh, all right, let's go make it happen. Yep. Do whatever we got to do to make it successful. Exactly. So share with the listeners your history. Where, where did you grow up? Where did you live? All right. So I grew up in small town of Monticello, Iowa. Spent my you know, my entire childhood there, um, which is, you know, a town of 5,000 and uh, in between some cornfields in the middle of really nowhere. So I spent the most of my youth, you know, causing trouble, riding bikes, swimming, just a uh, you know, good old Midwestern kid, detasseling corn, baling hay, doing whatever, whatever we could do to uh, get a few bucks in our pocket to buy more parts or whatever we need to. And when you grew up, you, at what age did you get into the military, which by the way, thank you for that. So explain oh. what you did. Tell us that story. All right. So 18 years old, I enlisted into the Marine Corps and that really is the big credit to, or one of the big credits to the man I turned into today. You know, it's uh, instilled the discipline and the uh, brotherhood and camaraderie and into my life. The motto of the Marine Corps is Semper Fidelis, which I try to live to still today. You know, 25 years later, it uh, it made a big impression on me, and they did a great they did a great job of shaping me into a decent human being. <laughs> it's funny you say 25 years later. I'm like, no, we're not old enough for that yet. No, I am. Like I'm, 
getting ready for my 30th high school reunion here pretty soon, I think. Yep, that was mine. Yeah, 93. Not too long ago. Jeepers, creepers. Yeah, that's crazy. So wow. when did you get out? How long were you in? Uh, so I went in twice. I got out the first time in, oh, 1998. And while I was there, I while I was in the first time, I took a couple of, was really, really new at the time for online school and got into diesel mechanics. And I spent a couple of years doing that, but it just was not my thing. Working on semis was the job that I first took, and it just, it wasn't my bag. So when I came back from California to Iowa, went back to my small town and uh, in, in, in Monticello, uh, which is real close to Animosa where J&P Cycles is, that's where I got my first start into the motorcycle industry. So that's kind of my transition from military to motorcycles. Okay. That question was coming up. How did you get into motorcycles? Like, did did it come from having the job at JNP, or were you into motorcycles before? So I've always loved motorcycles. Like, from I, I can't even tell you when how old I was when I started, you know, liking motorcycles. But so I've always been a fan, and I've had bikes, you know, from uh, another one that I don't remember. So I'm horrible with the dates, Greg. But just as long as I can remember, I've always loved motorcycles. So, uh, but it just seemed to be a natural fit. And after I, you know, when I realized I wasn't, you know, diesel mechanics wasn't my thing, I, you know, I bounced around and I did a couple of jobs. I worked for a lumber yard or a sawmill and I poured concrete just trying to find my, my path. And while I was pouring huge warehouse expansion in Animosa at JMP, I was out in the mud and rain and just just wasn't feeling it that day. And I said, they seen that uh, they were hiring there. So I'm like, well, let's give it a shot. So I went in and applied and got hired on at JMP and never looked back. Isn't that funny how that works? Yeah, it, it is. It was, it was just, I don't know. I'll see how it's just so strange to me because how much I love it. Just being you know, being in an industry yeah. is how come I didn't realize this sooner. And all them times where I spent, you know, the the few years in between diesel and J and P there is a time that I could have been spent, you know, doing something that I love doing. So Yeah. But another thing that I don't really want to change because it that's another thing that formed me into who I am today. Well, and oftentimes if you just start in the motorcycle industry at like these kids that do get hired young, almost like they don't appreciate how fun it really is. Because it's all they know. And it where you got to go out and do some real shit work then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, man, this this is pretty cool. I kind of like keeping my hands clean and helping talk to people about stuff they love doing. Yeah, so that's where, so when I first started at JMP, I was working in the receiving department. And even then, at that point, it, it was a job. You know, it was a, well, we'll call it a nine to five. And there was, you know, good benefits and stuff like that. I was just starting my family with my, at that time, future wife. And so all that stuff got really important really quick. And, uh, you know, that's where my love for the, for the motorcycles and the passion for the industry kind of took over. And I just worked through several positions at JNC Cycles until I ended up as your buyer right before I left. Yeah. So tell us so, about some of those. I mean, I met in what year was that that you left? It had to be 2011, um, 12, no, somewhere so, in there? No, I, I stuck it out till. I think 2016 is when I left. It was. Or 
2017 is when I left J&P Cycles the first time, and I went to S&S in Wisconsin. But my transit, so I, I started, I did probably, I worked a year as a receiver, and uh, this is where my my job turned into a career, is the Sturgis event was coming up, and here I am in the warehouse, and I'm counting parts and putting them away and doing this and that, and okay with it, and Jill Parham walked by. And I said, hey, Jill, I would love to go to Sturgis. If you know, if there's any room or you're taking volunteers, I'll do whatever I could do to go out there. And, uh, yeah, she said that uh, she'd take me out. And that's where I got exposed to the rally culture, to the people, and to the customers and helping everybody and everything. And uh, that's where that's where it turned from a job to a career for me. That that day, my first Sturgis rally is when it turned in from a, a job to a career. So you knew then that that's what you wanted to do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, yeah, you, what you, was it? What was the draw? The yeah, right. What was the draw though? Like you say, you knew right. right then that's what you wanted to do. So I'm just I'm curious. I don't know that so, I've ever asked anybody the question. What was your draw to the industry to that side of it? So it was just the how to explain it it was just how everything came together and we had this huge crew of people that were you know setting up the store because you know at that time it wasn't a all year round store so we would go out there and on my first one i didn't get to but people go out there you know for a month before the rally bring in millions of dollars in inventory turn this empty building into this amazing store that you couldn't tell wasn't wasn't there all day long or all year long. What the rest and, of the year it was a car dealership or something, wasn't it? Yes, they had to uh, the the person that was leasing the building or whatever from the car dealership had to leave for. I think by the end of June they had to be out, and then at the end of August they got to come back in. So, so that was pretty neat. But uh, one of my favorite memories, and I think if you ever talk to Jill, she'll still laugh about it. Was you know, so I was out there when I went out to my first day. Just I didn't know that it was the all day job. You know, it wasn't. I was expecting my <laughs> nine to five. So I was like, I'm going out to South Dakota. I'm looking at all this stuff. I bring in my fly rod and my tackle box, and I bring all that stuff out with me. And Jill, Jill's looking like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's my fishing rod and uh, lures for you know after work or before work in the morning. I'm gonna uh, go out and try to do some fishing. And anybody who's listening on the podcast who's heard Jill crack up, she just busted up laughing right there. And because I just, I didn't know what this rally, so I didn't know what I got myself into by, by volunteers to go to right. the rally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was a eight to eight ordeal, you know, and, and when you're done at the end of the day, you know, you can go downtown and do this and that, but you're tired and you're not going to want to go out and, you know, walk or go fishing and walk upstream and all that stuff. You know, I wanted to. I was just, there was no way that would happen. <laughs> so, yeah. So I went out there and I uh, never got to touch my tackle box and uh, fishing pole until I loaded it back in the van when we all came home at the end of the rally. That's funny that you so, have that story because so many people, and, and I'm sure you still hear it, well, maybe not as much now, but and I don't hear it as much anymore, but people, when we talk to them and we say, yeah, we're heading out to Sturgis for, you know, 19 days or 20 days or something they're like oh that's got to be a blast man you gotta have so much fun just party all the time it's like yeah well it's i really love it it really is a blast 
I don't know about the partying thing, though, because we don't really get a lot of time or, or energy to do it in our case because we got to be up and sharp right away in the morning. So yeah, funny. well, and 20 years ago, it wasn't quite as hard. So now when I go out to Sturgis and do the rallies and stuff like that, it's almost, if any, very little partying involved. And so my first year, you know, I cut it up and I had a great time up. But as I, as my experience, my responsibility and everything grew with putting, doing the rallies and helping at the rallies, I, I learned them. I do. You got to be sharp in the morning. You don't want to be smelling like booze to all the customers. And it's just every year I think hangovers get worse and worse and worse. So I just don't even do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, there is, it is a lot of fun. It's just kind of a different fun, more of a torturous fun. <laughs> yeah, right. So I don't know if you've listened to the episode with Rick Dorfmeyer. I think he was episode 22. He was my favorite rep to travel with to this day. And he used to say all the time, he goes, man, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I don't really have to go to work. All I got to do is travel around to different places and talk to all my friends about motorcycles all day long. And I've, yeah, I've like soaked that in. That's really what I say to everybody. Cause I believe it, that it's, it is, it's the greatest thing. There's a lot of work involved and you know, sometimes it's not all glorious, but I love it. And it sounds like you do too, which is cool. Yeah. So the, it's the, the, the prep, you know, and the initial setup of the events and the rallies and stuff like that, that's where the, you know, the work, work, the physical stuff, the exhausting stuff happens. But, you know, once the rally starts and the bikes come in and the customers come in and, you know, you, you help them out and get whatever they need done or if they're broke down, you help them get fixed. You know, you talk to them, you hear where they're from, you learn a little bit about them. And it's, it's kind of neat or I don't really want to call them, you know, friends, but we're all really friendly and just, and I don't know, it's just, it's a really neat experience to be on the, on the rally circuit because it's, for the most part, you're just dealing with great people. You all have that common, you know, love for the motorcycles or the industry or, or whatever. And then, you know, you've got all your friends like, you know, you and I have met through the years and we're all, we're all suffering together. So that makes it more enjoyable. <laughs> for sure. And one thing I always like to point out to people too, is we are dealing with people on vacation, right? There's a little bit of a different dynamic to the crowd that we're dealing with regularly than the people that are in the brick and mortar locations, because, you know, they're talking to people that have to get their stuff fixed. They're, you know, not everybody's on vacation when they go into a motorcycle shop. So you get a few crabby people. We don't see that too often on the road. No, I'm not going to, you know, say that they don't exist because, you know, you do, you will get the people that are crabby, but generally speaking, it's, you know, it's always been a great experience for me with, you know, dealing with everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But it's really, it's also rewarding too when, you know, you got somebody that's broken down and looking at having to rent a trailer to get home or, or you can get them set up with whatever they need so that they can ride home again. And, and you much that affects them and, you know, it, it, you know, it improves their vacation and you're, you're really helping them have an experience on vacation is one thing that we get to do. And I've gotten to see that where, you know, we work with you guys quite often where people will come in and yeah, like you say, they're going to be putting their bike on a trailer and you just happen to have what they need, man. Are they ever thankful? Yeah. And it's, that's where it's really rewarding to Yeah. Obviously, you know, being in the, in the retail environment, we want to sell what we can, but just to, to help people too, at the same time, it's, it's, that's where it's rewarding to me. Yeah, for sure. You, you know, you outfit them with the latest and greatest gadgets or, you know, stuff for safety. If they, you know, have a 
bad tire or whatnot, you know, stuff that can really mess up your day. <laughs> you yeah. know, you go around the corner on a bad tire, especially out in some of these places where they have the rallies at where the, you know, you have the hairpin turns and windy roads, elevation changes. You want to make sure that you're in good stuff. So helping them be safe, and which also makes their experience better too. So, Yeah, for sure. How did you, uh, what was, so we talked about how you got into motorcycle, into the industry. How did, what was your first bike? First bike, progression of bikes. What are you riding today? Uh, so my first bike, you know, was dirt bikes as a young adult. And then due to not having a lot of cash when you're starting out a family and all that, I really didn't get my first like touring and riding bike that I, I have until, oh, 2008. Yeah, 2008 when I got my first Road Glide, and I actually I still have that bike. I call it a Harley Davidson now because there's really nothing on it that's Harley except for the uh, the Tims anymore. <laughs> <laughs> working it, working in the aftermarket industry, I've got I've got gotten it uh, you know just the way I want it, and with all the you know some of the best equipment on there, and it's you know being a you know it's an 07, so it's what is this year? The thirteen-year-old bike. Yeah. Right. No, it'd be uh, be older than that, wouldn't it? If it's if it's an 07, it's twenty-three. My math is like just yeah left me this yeah. morning. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, it's, even though it's an older bike, you know, it's still you know I got great parts on it and I upkeep on it and can still ride it today. Well, not today because I just got a foot of snow the other day in Wisconsin. Yeah. Right. So. But yeah, no, it's a it's a great bike, and uh, you know I do want to get one of the new Milwaukee Eights. I like that bike from Harley, the like a Road King or a Road Glide. Those two, I guess the list of bikes that I want to get is pretty long. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I love the Honda Africa Twin. You know, uh, the ZX14. I would love to have one of those. So I just, I don't know. I guess I just I love looking at, talking to, riding any bike out there. You know. So, yeah. So aside from motorcycles, what would be any other interests you have? Are you, do you still fish every chance you can? I don't fish as much as I'd like to, but I fish every chance I can get. I enjoy hunting, shooting sports, yeah, just you know, being outdoors, outside, and stuff like that until nighttime. And you know, I'm not a, a someone that really likes camping or anything like that. I like my air conditioning and my big bed to sleep in at night. So. Well, that's why God invented those things so we can enjoy them. Yes. <laughs> So tell us about your family. So I have I have uh, my wife Christine, another one who I uh, credit with uh, shaping me into the decent human being that I am today. Um, and I have three daughters. I have Haley, Maddie, and Cammie. And uh, I have my dog Mattis, and my wife has a dog Eddie. So that's that's our family here at the house. Your, I have, your daughters uh, my, are getting a little bit older. Uh, older now, right? Yeah, my oldest daughter is married, and. I don't see how that even is possible. But uh, <laughs> my youngest daughter, she's away in college, or not, not my youngest, my my middle one, Maddie, she's away at college right now. And then my youngest, you know, she's she's driving, so they're they're getting their mom's getting old. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't tell her you said that. <laughs> no, I I won't say it. <laughs> That's funny. But but dad's not. Mom is, but dad's not. Right. Right. I'm still young. Still so, bulletproof. That's right. So what other, you got to have some good stories from your times back in the original J&P stint. Oh, geez, there's so, so, so many. Because it was just, it, 
and still today. It's, I, I can tell you stories from every rally. There's some fun. Some of my big ones are, you know, the key, some of the key moments or really funny things that happened is, uh, and this one has one of my kids in it too. So we had a display in the showroom in Anamosa um, that was showing how a spark plug works. And something had happened where a wire had come undone. But anyway, you push the display and it would send voltage through the coil into the spark plug and you can actually see it sparking in the, in the display. And, uh, it has a video game button on it. So while I was messing with it, my daughter was standing there and she just looks up in between me and sees that red button there when I'm holding on to the uh, spark plug in my hand, not paying attention to what she's doing. And she lights me up, just zaps me to all hell with this. <laughs> coil and spark plug i was like whoa what happened there so that was a, a good one jeepers there's you know just i touched briefly on my you know when i left jmp cycles and went to s and s you know getting to you know get into the the more power part of the job you know seeing the performance from all the, the stuff that uh i'll say we made back then um getting a you know, work on and ride bikes with all the, the S&S engines in it and uh, high-performance parts. You know, that was great, a great time for me. I'm trying to think of what would be another really funny moment. And I'm just getting all these little memories popping into yeah. my head, but I can't find one that just kind of stands out. Well, when one screams yeah. at you, just blurt it out and tell me. So you I left was. J&P and went to S&S for a while, right? Yeah. So explain the change in roles and what you did at SNS. So when I when I left JMP, that was when I was the the catalog merchant. You know, we were the the buyers for the product, and that's where you and I and your former employer had uh, really dealt with each other quite a bit outside of the you know me going and helping out the rallies and stuff like that. But I went to SNS to uh, run the events program up there. The guy that had the job before me up there, he went over to the Indian, the wrecking crew when the Indian flat track team launched. Okay. So that was kind of, that was my, that was my switch over there to, from JP Cycles to SNF events and working with Dave and John and Langley back then. It was a, that was a good time too. When I left there, I just, it was, it was kind of maxed out for my role as the events manager there. You know what I mean? It was like, I want I want a little bit more of a, a challenge in the events world. Sure. Like there's other stuff that I could have done at, at S&S, but uh, I just think, you know, I love the rallies and I love the travel and stuff like that. So for me to have any growth, it was kind of my natural progression to come back to JP Cycles or what, you know, Komodo and uh, work the, run the rally programs over there. And that's what you're doing now. You wanted more of a challenge. You got it. Uh, I got it. <laughs> you know, they always, you know, like, uh, it's, it's funny because throughout all of my career, it's like, you be careful what you ask for because you'll get it. You know, like when I asked Jill to take me to Sturgis, oh, I got it. I got to go. Didn't know what I was getting into there. And, you know, just, but it's, you know, like I said, it's fun. I really enjoy it. So, so explain what you're doing now because it used to be. You always had the Daytona store. Now, this is just since I've been in the industry, in uh, on this side of the industry, rather. The Daytona store was year-round. The Anamosa store was year-round, and you were there setting up for rallies and events. So those two are a little bit different than Sturgis, where you had to go in, set up, 
you know, everything, like you said, in a month and then tear it all back down in two weeks and give it back to the, the renter to sell cars out of. You weren't yeah, doing so, the yeah. truck stuff with J&P at that time, were you? There was uh, so, a little bit of it, but you so weren't involved. I so I would work on the truck. I would go to the events and work on the truck, you know, from time to time or go to Sturgis and help out at the rally and stuff like that. But I wasn't like the events manager or coordinator or anything like that. I did, you know, a few years after, you know, just when I first started JMP, I had a, the year that I was a receiver and then I went to work in the showroom. And then a few years later, I uh, was promoted to the supervisor there in the showroom and then eventually manager. And then I got the, uh, the role for the uh, store manager in Daytona as well. So I was managing both retail stores out of Iowa. And I would just go down to Florida once a month and uh, work, work, uh, do everything I needed to there. Or, you know, thanks to the internet, I didn't have to be on site every day because we had a team there that was kind of running the show while I wasn't. But then I, I came to the max of my abilities as a retail manager there. And I couldn't, you know, take it any further. So that's when I transitioned into the merch role and uh, learned another part of the part of the business, another part of the industry. Which that one was really fun because it was, you know, everybody remembers the J and P catalog from back then. So oh yeah, we could, you know, pick the new parts to go in the catalog, lay it out, and you know, make sure that the stuff is on the website and. You know, that was really fun. So then I got to see and work with the the vendors and suppliers more and, you know, get to build relationships through throughout the industry with all of those people, which was another stepping stone into where I'm at today. So with my relationships that I built as the merchant kind of helps me out with, uh, you know, keeping one the latest and greatest stuff on the, the rally rigs you know, getting supporting vendors to come out to the big rally in Sturgis and our, you know, so J&P now, you know, you, we're talking about having the the two stores and then the pop-up, we call it, well, I will call it the pop-up store in Sturgis. Yeah. So now it, we have the, you know, the, the OG store, the OG J&P Cycles in Animosa, Iowa, Daytona, Florida. Sturgis is now open year-round out there. And then there's uh, Taylor, Michigan. Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and Scottsdale, Arizona. So um, we have those brick and mortar stores everywhere. Yeah, or not everywhere, cool. but all I, those places. I have not been to Michigan or Pigeon Forge, but that the store in uh, Scottsdale is nice. That's a great store. Yeah, well, we'll put on a we'll put we're putting on an event there in Pigeon Forge this spring, and uh, we can, can we can consider this your formal invite. Well, we should probably look <laughs> at a calendar then and find out when that is. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we'll talk, we could definitely talk in Daytona. So, oh yeah, we um, will. You went to SNS. You were doing events for them, and then now talk about what you're doing now with Komodo. You're not only running the J and P truck, but also the Revzilla truck. How many trucks? How many shows? How many venues are you responsible for? Right now, we have you know two trucks that we own and operate that will go out to fifteen fifteen different events across the country. You know, some are going to be where, like Daytona, I'll have both trucks at the Speedway. And then we kind of split so that the Revzilla truck will be going to, like, the Dakota race in Austin, Texas, Circuit of the Americas, MotoGP race. 
we're putting on two get on adventure fest for the adventure touring bikes you know one's in mojave california and the other ones in uh at the buffalo chip in uh, sturgis those are great well, events that's, and that's the reason that your next bike needs to be the uh, africa twin by the way that's my vote yes no so i just uh hopefully when my wife listens to this podcast she sees the importance of how how important it is for me to have that bike it's so unbelievably really, important because to see you riding it will make your trailers more successful at those events. Cause people will be like, man, that guy's one of us because he's got this Honda Africa twin brand new. That's super nice. And you're just going to gain street cred. See, and then that's just going to translate into great profits. And your wife has to see that. Yeah. So <laughs> remember, that, remember that when you listen to this, stuff, you're doing great. I thank you for the assist on that, Craig. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so then the J and P truck, you know, we'll be doing, uh, you know, the next on the list for us after uh, Bike Week this year is Arizona Bike Week. We'll be at our Scottsdale location. And, and now that you put me on the spot, I, I can't go to the list. But then we'll be going across to our deal in Pigeon Forge at the end of April. And then, and then you'll, be at, you'll be at America. Yeah, you'll be at Myrtle Beach. Then you'll be, no, you'll be at Americade at the end of Americade, April. So you're going to go Beach. there and then Myrtle Beach. No, no. So it'll be Myrtle Beach, then Americade, then Laconia, then Sturgis. And yes, you're correct. After Sturgis, we wrap up our fiscal year. So we'll be the, the end of this season in uh, Ocean City, Delmarva. That's in. That'll be the end of the JNT cycle season. Okay. Yeah. I've never done the Delmarva mm-hmm. event. Oh, it's a great event. One of my favorites. That one we'll have to look into. So at these events, now explain setup. Now you're running semis, and those things don't set themselves up. How many guys, how long does it take? And then you got to get all your product in there and out on display. Explain that process to people. So the setup and displays really depend from rally to rally. So like when we go down to Daytona, it's pretty straightforward. We're going to be working with a couple others in the industry that will be setting up their semi. I don't know if I can mention them here. But so we'll be the JMP semi or JMP mobile store. We'll have, you know, two semis and four vendors, you know, supporting vendors with tents there. But that all pops up in, in one day. The Revzilla truck, um, being that this is my, my first go around setting the truck up and really getting to know my brand new crew on that truck. I want to have a day, a day and a half set up on that one just because there's only really one person that's been on that on, that's on that crew that's that, that set that truck up before so it'll be teaching and training and showing people how to do it because we have a, a dedicated crew of people that we're pulling from different stores or the call center from all across you know revzilla jmp cycles cycle gear they're all kind of come we all converge in the one city and make it happen so daytona for the revzilla truck and crew is going to be a, an extra day of setup, but it's going to be training to show the, show everybody how to how to get the truck set and in place. Sure, cool. And then uh, everything gets torn down in one day. <laughs> at the end of the rally, it's funny how fast that comes down and gets crammed back into that truck. When you see it set up, it does not look like it would all fit in that trailer, but it always does. Yeah, yeah. Well, we do we do ship uh, like I'll have a full trailer of inventory coming down. Because, you know, we're limited by space and weight on the semis of what we can haul. Sure. 
and through a two week event for, you know, Daytona or Merle or Laconia and stuff like that, I, I can't get everything on the truck. So I have to ship in another trailer of inventory, so, you know, supporting inventory. And things. Right. But when you pack it all up, you don't ship anything out, do you? Not usually. So out of the full trailer that we send down there, we'll probably send back two or three pallets of stuff. Because oh, I did not know that. There, there's no, no magic, you know, crystal ball that tells me, you know, that this is everything we're going to sell. We have a great idea. So we have built, you know, history and data from years prior. So we have a good idea of what's going to move, but, you know, trends change favorite people's favorite brands change regulations change so you know things kind of fluctuate a little bit so and i always like to err on the side of caution and i would rather send back a pallet or two of inventory than just be empty and out of yeah for some sure really important stuff for sure no that being said too we have we do have the ability to reorder and restock if something that we you know this let's say just this new widget this year sells better than it ever has before or it's brand new and we didn't know what to expect if we sell out of it you know the first weekend well we have the ability to get stuff shipped in and, and grab the inventory so i don't know it's a it's a juggling act you know yeah for sure and one thing that you guys do that i have seen is if they show up to buy something and you happen to be sold out you ship it to their house for free don't you yes we do yes yeah, so. uh and it, and it doesn't we don't even have to be out of stock on it if it's something that you know, they just want to get it when they're home. It's still, we'll still ship it for free. So even if we have it sitting there, we'll ship one home to them for free. Okay. It won't come off the truck, but it'll come out of our warehouse and yep. go right to their house. And yeah. depending on how early on in the rally it is, it'll probably get them home. Yeah. Seen that happen. Well, cool. <laughs> so you, you kind of alluded to what you got coming up this summer. You're going to be really busy. 15 events and our season, I always kind of, do backwards math on this. Our season is only about seven months long, right? So we got like 20, between 25 and 30 available weekends. Half of those are eaten up with events. Yeah. So April, May, June, I don't even know why I bother with a mortgage. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, your, your wife um, needs somewhere to, to, to be home and happy and make sure she guards oh, yeah. that Africa twin. Oh, yeah. Her and the dog, yeah, I forgot about that. No, yeah, um, but no, it's yeah, you know, like you said, it's a short window that we get all get to cram all this stuff in, and we do have a you know a couple of late. Well, there'll be technically next season's events that'll be you know Galveston uh, down at the Lone Star Rally, which is another really good good event for us. Mm-hmm. So um, busy, busy, keep moving. Yep, Semper Opus, always working. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. That's like we've went through your whole life in a nutshell. Is there anything I missed? Anything you want to mention? Any funny stories? Any good things pop into your head that you need to hear? Not, not without me okaying it through some of the other affected people. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the names no, could uh, be changed to protect the innocent. Yeah, there. And, and don't worry, I don't have dirt on anybody. But no. it's just uh, <laughs> funny stories that could be could be a little bit embarrassing. But it's uh, no, it's. I don't know. It's a great, it's a challenging job. I, I'm really enjoying it. And I don't know. I just, I think I feel really, really lucky to kind of be in the industry. And, you know, you touched on, you know, a lot of the people that we do deal with are, you know, on vacation and they're happy. And just being, depending on where you're geographically located, 
you know, some people can have, you know, the people down south that don't, don't have the weather that we do here in the, uh, in the north, they can, they can ride their bikes all year. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of neat to, to be able to be able to something that, you know, just generally for a big chunk of the country that enjoys motorcycling, you know, we're, we're you know, helping them do something that they enjoy. So, and building that on, bringing on new riders, you know, getting, getting, getting kids hooked on it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's exciting. I just, I don't, I just, I, I love it. I couldn't think of uh, a better field to be in. I would agree. Except for maybe the guy that, you know, tests houses and watches TV as a job, but yeah, I couldn't I don't, do that. I have never seen that. I have never seen that posted <laughs> anywhere. But, Professional, a professional hunter, a professional fisherman, something along those lines. Yeah, and you have to be really then, good at that. But then it would still it would boil down to its work too. So yeah, at least these jobs we don't have to be that good at them. No, <laughs> we're gonna be so, fairly good. But so that's where you know my strong point is: is I'm not the best, I'm not the smartest, but I do have the best and the smartest that works for me or can help me out. So yep, yep, <laughs> yep. I just, just surround myself with people that are better at my job than me. That's the way to do it. <laughs> so that leads us to the five questions. I know you've listened to some of the shows. So the five questions are completely random. I don't know if you've heard that now there, I have 20 questions and I put all the numbers into a randomizer wheel and spin the wheel and you get what comes up. You ready for those? I'm ready. Hit me. All right. Question number one, what topic would you speak about if you were asked to give a TED talk on something outside of your main area of expertise? Hmm. Um, let's take a couple seconds to think about this. So my main area is outside of my main area of expertise. I don't know. My kids turned out to be pretty awesome. So I think I, I'm very successful at, uh, at bringing up great kids. So, um, parenting. The Ted talk on parenting. parenting. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Question number two. Do you have a quote that you live your life by or that you think of often? Oh man. Um, like I, like I touched on this, um, really early on, right on when we started talking about the military. And so I'd have to say Semper Fidelis, always faithful. Yeah. When, it, the, when I was reading the question, that's what I was thinking your answer would be. So it's, it's just, and that's just, you know, with my, to my friends, to my family, to my career, it's just being, the best me that I can be and always being true to them and not wanting to bring any kind of shadow onto my name for, for doing any of that stuff. So and just always faithful, I think will be my, my motto, my, my core. I love it. Question number three, a belief of yours or whatever, but what have you changed your mind about in the last few years? And why? Um, what have I changed my mind on? Uh, I don't want to really get into details of it, but I have changed my point of view on a lot of stuff politically, just from talking, listening, and you know, wearing other people's shoes. So I would say something that I've changed my mind on is to not have any preformed opinions on people for their political views because I don't know their stories. I don't know their, their, their life. You know what I mean? So 
I know exactly um, what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And don't let the people you see on TV, you know, fill you full of crap on how bad it is. Cause you go out and, and just see that everybody's just, you know, they're, everybody's in their own struggle, you know? Yeah. So it's, you know, just, just don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but not only everybody's in their own struggle, but the world's pretty goddamn good when you get out of the house. Yeah, there's a lot of good going on out there. You get behind the windshield of a motorcycle, and there's so much good. And and it's and not just a motorcycle, but you get out and you see so much good. And turn off the TV and talk to people. Get off the nonstop social media, and just talk to people, and you'll realize that we're we're not that different. Yeah. And, you know, you might have some differences in, in but there's, it's not that we're, you know, we're, we're all just on this rock floating through space out of control that we're all just trying to get by, you know? Yep. Perfect. Let's see. Number four. If you could have one gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? Um, hmm. So you said it would be anything and anywhere. Whatever you what want it to say. say. Yep. <laughs> Take advantage of your youth. Take advantage of your youth? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you like how I just sit here dead silent with no hints? <laughs> yeah, I just like, oh, God. What? Well, no, because then, you know, that, that gives it, you know, it, yeah. it gives me time to, to think about it. And, it, you know, it makes your your podcast legit like you're not leading me into anything right so i'm sorry i'm sorry for the dead air craig but oh that's all I've edited out never ever ever <laughs> ever thought of my answer to that question before right so yeah that's what it, triggering, that's, that's what these are for you're triggering new uh new brain waves going okay well on. this one this one maybe you've heard a belief of yours right so what is something you believe that other people think is insane you may know that I am a huge flat earther. No, I'm just kidding. I do not believe that. <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't know that. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I think that's ridiculous. Um, that's funny. <laughs> but uh, one belief that I think that... Um, one belief that I think we can do better. Could you read that one more time for me, just to make sure? Yep. The question is, what is something you believe that other people think is insane? Um, I do believe that there is other life in the universe that is not, you know, here on Earth. So I, I do believe that there is, is life on other planets and other solar systems, other galaxies and stuff like that. I just, I don't see how it could possibly not be with just the sheer number of planets, stars, galaxies out there that we can even see. There, there has to be something. We can't be the only thing. Mm-hmm. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, uh, I tend to be on your side with that one. So, I, and I'm not saying that you know nobody believes that or anything, but you know there are people that you know there are. Is, yeah. yeah, the surprising <clears throat> amount of people that think we're it. This is it. Everything's well, on this planet. <clears throat> well, you know, to the point, you know, we are it. We're we are it that we can that we know of. So, see, I don't even believe that. Right. I think there's enough evidence of other life that we don't have to yeah, doubt it anymore. Just, and, it, and I'm not talking about just you know little green green 
playing Eagle Green Space People yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and playing saucers and stuff like that. But, you know, there's yeah. got to be planets with animals and intelligent life and, and stuff like that. It's, I would, yeah. So there have to be. Yep. Cool. Well, those were the five questions. I think you did well. Before we wrap this up, yeah. do you have any last or final parting words for the listeners? No, I thank you guys for all sitting through this and listening to me ramble on about myself. Greg, thank you for having me on. I was humbled when you uh, invited me on, so I, I greatly appreciate it. And that, uh, I really like that you thought that it would be interesting enough to fill, fill your podcast for the episode. So <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great guy. And I know there's a story in the industry. And like I said, we've we've gotten to know each other and become friends through the years. So it's it's a pleasure to have you on, and I'm glad you were able to join me. Where can people follow you? Instagram, Facebook? Are you on any of the, st- um, the socials? I, I am, um, but I I kind of use I use them more to kind of just see what people are saying. I I I got off the the posting stuff to social media a while ago. It's just there's a lot of noise out there for sure. me. Um, I really like watching uh, you know, how it's done videos and stuff like that. But you can follow me. It's uh, T Rizzle for Shizzle My Bizzle on Instagram. A uh, little shout out to Snoop uh, Doggy Dog there. Um, but then it's just Troy Porter on, J- on uh, Facebook. But um, yeah, like I, I don't post a whole lot on there. The best way to follow me is to uh, get behind uh, JMP Cycles or Revzilla Semi and uh, meet me on the road. Cool. I will. I'll share links to your Instagram and Facebook page. And you know, you got to start posting. We need to know what you're having for lunch these days. So all right. Well, <laughs> the stuff that I do. So I. I uh, one other thing. Oh, God, I forgot to tell you how much I enjoy to cook. Oh, yeah, I, uh, you do. That's right. You always have the grill. Yeah, so I have the... <laughs> that was one thing that they loved, I think, when I was the, on the, uh, the S&S crew. Was I, I, I took my uh, pellet grill smoker on the road, and I'd just haul it around in the semi with us. And, you know, we'd have uh, great grilled food, and we wouldn't have to go wait for hours in restaurants at the rallies, and especially during the pandemic where you didn't know if a restaurant was a going to be open or crowded or full of people and, and stuff like that. So that really helped out. So, but yeah, you'll, you'll probably see um, anything that I post is going to be stuff that I cook for dinner. And I don't have a specific thing that I really like to cook more than anything. I, you know, traditional American, I love Mexican to cook Mexican food, Italian food, Asian. So I'll go, Indonesian, Chinese, Japanese, I just, I don't know. I think it's just so fun to cook. So that's, that would be my biggest hobby that I have left after the industry. Is, is cooking. Cool. Why did I wait till the end of the podcast to bring that up? I don't know, but now I'm hungry. So if we get to, <laughs> if we get to uh, join you at one of those fine cooking festivities in Daytona, I'll make sure I post it, which will be out. The post would come out before this podcast. So then we may have to delay that until an event further down the season all right well so unfortunately i won't be cooking in daytona we're staying at uh we had to stay at hotels there was no uh airbnbs and or vrbos close enough for us but craig if you do myrtle beach or any other rally when i have a night where i have a kitchen i will definitely invite you over sounds like a plan on that note we'll wrap it up Folks, if you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss another episode. You can follow the adventures on Facebook or Instagram by looking for The Real Wild Ass. Of course, I am Wild Ass Craig. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you again in a couple weeks. And of course, 
Thank you again, Troy, for coming on the show. No problem, Craig. I greatly appreciate you having me on. Thank you very much.